0: Hello, my name is Gary and this is episode 16 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. This is a solo effort today. Simon is prepping some stuff for a future episode about living without a home charger. In this special episode, we're going to be following up on something we talked about back in episode 4, the mainstream media. We talked in that podcast about the fact that mainstream media tends to not be too serious about EVs at the moment. They regularly send one of their journalists out with an EV and ask him or her to do a really long journey to see, quote, if EVs can do it. More often than not, the resulted article proves that EVs aren't ready for the mainstream. But when you look at the detail, you find one or two things that don't quite add up. There was a recent one in the Independent, which we'll attach a link below. And it turns out that this driver made three crucial mistakes when planning his journey. He didn't fill his car up to 100% charge before he left. He relied on ecotricity chargers as his only means of charging a vehicle that only uses CCS. And he believed the manufacturer who said an e-golf could travel 180 miles on a single charge. Naturally, he hit some problems on his journey. But as a result of this, we now have another mainstream media outlet pushing the narrative that EVs can't do long distances. The comments attached to the tweet about this article prove that this is factually incorrect. But every time I see an article like this, I'm drawn to the fact that even if everything goes correctly in journeys like this, it's always easy to bias the wording to give a negative impression. To prove this, about 12 months ago I wrote a blog post entitled Ice Ice Baby. It flips the EV narrative on its head and shows how easy it is to flavour an article negatively if you want to. But in this instance, I'm writing from the point of view of an EV driver who's trying out one of those newfangled internal combustion engine vehicles for the first time. So here's that article in full. So I thought I'd see what it's like living with one of those new internal combustion engines for a couple of days. Now this isn't a post about the actual car itself, an ice Honda Civic, but more about the actual day-to-day issues and benefits of living with an ICE car if you're used to an EV. My intention was to go from my house in Basinstoke to my sister's house in Huddersfield. With an EV this would be no problem, straight up the M3, around the M25 and at the M1 with a couple of charging stops at the services, unless I'm in a Tesla, and done. But my first problem was range anxiety. I didn't know how far I would be able to travel with the fuel in the Civic. When the car arrived, the tank was only half full. According to the manufacturers, I could get about 38 miles to to the gallon on a mixed cycle. The problem is I didn't know how many gallons I had left in the tank. That's right, there's no gom on the majority of ice cars, so it's a bit hit and miss when it comes to working out how far you can go. How these ice drivers don't go around in a state of permanent range anxiety is beyond me. My next problem was when I got in the car to drive off. With our EVs, of course, we start the day fully charged. But with the ice car only half full, I had to head off and find a petrol station to fill up first. Finding a petrol station wasn't a big problem as there are around 8,000 of them dotted all over the country. They're reasonably convenient, although not as convenient as recharging at home, obviously. But be warned, most of them close at night. So if you run out after about 11pm, you could find yourself stranded. However, when I got to the petrol station, I hit my first snag. A plethora of fueling options. Apparently there are different types of fuel you can put into an ICE car and you have to make sure you get the right one. There's diesel, there's unleaded, premium unleaded and for certain legacy vehicles there's something called four star. All very confusing for those of us who like to just grab a plug and start charging. Uh, under no circumstances must you put the wrong fuel in your ICE vehicle or the world will end apparently. Also, different station operators have different names for their fuel. Shell, for example, have one name for their top-of-the-range unleaded and SO have another. There's no indication if these are the same or different, and my Civic Owner's Manual was no help. Why can't they just use electricity like normal people, eh? My next surprise was the actual fueling itself. Rather than locking the fueling connector into the vehicle and walking away... I had to stand there and hold the lever to allow the fuel to flow. Very strange. Only when it was finished could I go and find a latte and a sandwich. Oh, and by the way, while some refueling stations allow card payment at the pump, most of them require you to actually go into a little office at the edge of the forecourt to pay after you've filled up. This can take quite a few minutes if there's a queue. The biggest surprise by far was the cost. Putting enough unleaded into my Civic to top up cost me around £28. At home, this would have been free on my solar panels, but for comparison, for that amount of money, I could have run my EV for almost 600 miles off grid electricity. But the £28 was only enough to fill half my tank, approximately 150 miles. Incidentally, I checked all eight pumps in the refuelling station and not a single one was on free vend. Uh, This was common across all the refuelling locations I visited. Driving the car itself was interesting. Obviously there's a noise factor. Ice cars make a lot of it, more so if you're using diesel. But more disappointing was the performance. I put my foot down at the lights and the car engine engaged and started to pull forward as the engine decided to power up. There's a thing called the torque curve with all ICE engines, which basically means that the power doesn't come all at once, but it's fed in gradually. Hardly useful if you're heading into a roundabout in the face of incoming traffic, right? And don't even think about one-pedal motoring. doesn't exist on an ICE car. You have to keep your foot hovering over the brake, or you will run into the car in front. I almost rear-ended several vehicles at the traffic lights as I kept forgetting that the car needs to be told when to stop. Having sorted out these driving quirks, I headed up the M3 and I seemed to be making good progress. The charge meter, I, I mean fuel gauge, stayed pretty much where it was for the first 40 miles or so, which was quite confusing. But then something weird happened. The fuel gauge needle dropped. It went from completely full... To just over three quarters full in about 35 miles. All my range calculations went out the window and I started to get worried. This was compounded by the fact that there was no regenerative braking to feed power back into the engine. Didn't matter how much I stood on the brake, I couldn't seem to get the fuel gauge to stop moving down. Then I hit some traffic on the M25. Found myself stationary for about 15 minutes. In my EV that's not an issue, no battery use, no loss of range, but with this ICE car I could almost see the fuel gauge moving, even though I wasn't. It was like the engine was draining the fuel without actually moving the car forward. I crawled along to Toddington Services. The fuel gauge was showing I'd used a little less than a quarter of a tank of fuel. I calculated that I could get as far as Newport Pagnell and top up there, but given the erratic fuel gauge, the lack of regen, and the drain while stationary, I decided to fill up at Todd. No sense in getting range anxiety and worrying about being stranded on the side of the road, right? I also needed a pee, so I parked, peed, paused for a second to check out the range of overpriced foods at the M&S and grabbed a coffee. It was when I got back to my car that I had another realisation about this size vehicle. I still had to go around to the fuel station and repeat the process of finding the right nozzle, standing holding the lever as the connector transferred to liquid, then queuing behind the other people waiting to pay before I could be on my way. No plugging in and leaving it while you do other things. There doesn't appear to be the ability to let the car refill itself while you do something else. Seems a bit of a waste of time if you ask me. Anyway, as I was putting the nozzle back on the pump, I accidentally spilt some unleaded. It went down the side of the Civic, onto the floor and over my hand. What awful smelling stuff it was. I spent a few minutes cleaning up before continuing. Someone from the office had to come out and put sand down on the floor to soak it up. I was disgusted at this, but not as disgusted as I was when I found out the price. Apparently the people at the service stations have added a premium to the fuel there because you're a bit of a captive audience. I put in about £12 of fuel, but my calculations indicate that at the place I'd previously topped up, near my house, the same volume would have cost me about £10.50. That's one pound fifty difference, and it would have brought me about 10 kilowatt hours of electricity on an Ecotricity charger. Enough for a couple of days regular commuting. Shocking. I got to Newport Pagnall and the fuel gauge had again been erratic and non-linear. I had to decide whether to top up or take a chance that I could go further. A rudimentary calculation indicated that I should be able to do at least 300 miles on the current fuel level. This would be more than enough to get me to my final destination but I had no app to locate fuel stations en route. Was it worth risking it? Seizing my courage with both hands I decided to risk it. I mean Range anxiety is a serious matter and not having a gun was a bit of a handicap. But I would grasp that nettle and plough on. But then we hit another snag. At the next service station, my wife decided she needed to pee. I pulled in and stopped out front. With my EV, I would have plugged in and topped up while she used the facilities, but this wasn't possible. There's a minimum amount of fuel by law that a petrol pump can dispense. As I didn't think I'd use that minimum amount between the two service stations, I couldn't use the pumps. I had to sit there with fuel pumps in sight and not use them while she peed. Very frustrating. But then we were on our way. Almost 70 miles of trouble-free ice motoring. Then... uh, More jams. Some sort of accident outside Nottingham. We were in stop-start traffic and the temperature inside the car was climbing. I flicked the aircon on and lowered the temperature of the interior, but this had an adverse effect on the fuel consumption. The little meter in the car showed the aircon was sapping the fuel, and presumably the range. This is of course exactly what happens with my EV, but because the ice car lacked a gom, I had no idea of the range impact. Speaking to other ice drivers, it appears that this is totally normal, and for example cold winter weather can sap your range by up to 20% too but I spent a nervous few minutes monitoring the gauge and doing mental calculations. I figured we should be all right. Leaving the M1 at junction 35A, I headed over the Pennines to drop into the back of Huddersfield. The climb up the hill would apparently drain the fuel and sap the range, but unlike an EV, the drop down the other side wouldn't recharge it, even if I freewheeled. Very disappointing, and a real design flaw in these ICE vehicles, I think. I'm pleased to say that I made it to Huddersfield without further mishap. The fuel gauge appeared to be at about two-thirds empty. A quick calculation showed I had about 100 miles left, meaning a useful range of 300 miles from a a full tank. Apparently various diesel versions of this vehicle can seriously extend this to 500 and 600 miles from a tank, but diesel is even more expensive than unleaded and kicks out some very nasty things at the back end. Also, a reminder that owning the Civic meant that you would have to pay a specific fee to the government every year for kicking out some noxious exhaust gases, it's a vehicle excise duty, it's not eligible for congestion charge relief and it will cost you more every year to service as the complex internal combustion engine has many moving parts that need monitoring, servicing and lubricating. So in summary, I would say that the ICE experience is somewhat different to the EV one. Obviously it's still pretty new and it will develop, but it's not there yet. Stick with your EV until they've out the glitches and start saving for your petrol What were the pros? Well, quick refueling turnaround took about 7 minutes overall What were the cons? Expensive, smelly, noisy No ability to refill at home Slow acceleration curve Expensive No regen Multiple fuel types cause confusion No GOM makes range calculation difficult Did I mention the expense? <laughs> So let's wrap it up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing that I can share with you, our listeners. I want to talk today about metal amorphous nanocomposite materials. I'll link to a video article about this, but basically this is a new way of creating the type of metals used to make electric motors. The metal's almost like extremely thin ribbon, and the benefit of this is that it can be made into a motor that, for the same electric power, is up to a hundred times smaller and this is great for applications such as electronics power converters and things like that but where it really comes into its own is when you apply it to the motor driving an electric vehicle. If the metal enables the same power to be produced at a hundredth scale then keeping the scale the same means that the power of an electric motor is increased quite considerably. The upshot of this is that the motors powering electric cars can be made more powerful without impacting the size or form factor. But the other benefit of this material is that it doesn't heat up as much as similar metals and this means that for the same power input higher rotational speeds can be achieved. The upshot of all of this is that smaller more powerful motors for EVs can be produced. This is obviously still in the lab stage. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh are looking at this currently, but it has a lot of potential. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at the EV side on both Twitter and YouTube, and I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you want to contact us on Twitter, use either of these or our own EV Musings Twitter account, at Musings EV. Don't ask about why it's that way around. Just don't. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved. And if you find somebody who might benefit from this podcast, please recommend it to them. Better still, grab a hold of their phone and subscribe them for us. Thank you very much. Bye.